know, in seminary, I had a homiletics professor who said to us, <clears throat> preach every single sermon like it's the last one you'll ever preach because you never know what to expect. It might be the last sermon a person ever hears. And I always thought that's so much pressure. But I also came to learn through being a pastor for 32 years that there are moments in the life of the church when the congregation is together when you don't know what to expect because for some reason there is a moment of grace when every single person in the congregation is thinking not about their worries, not about their concerns with other people, not about anything but Christ. And if the whole place is thinking about Christ simultaneously in whatever way we can, that's when the roof blows up. That's when the Spirit enters. That's when all of us are set free. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, Give us the grace to think about you this morning. Help us to understand worship as each one of us individually being together in community. What you're concerned about is our hearts and who we are as your individual people. I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, the people of God had come together. All throughout the history of Israel, there was a remnant of people who had come together, and they were waiting and expecting a Savior, a Messiah. Their lives were terrible over their history. They thought that they knew exactly what was needed to lead them out of this mess. And I have to ask you, don't we all think we know exactly what is needed to lead us out of whatever mess there might be. They wanted vindication. They wanted justice because they had been abused and treated poorly over centuries. They wanted an advocate. They wanted someone who would speak for them with a voice. They wanted power to crush the enemy, military power, force. But here's the thing. They wanted a king. They wanted someone with splendor and opulence. They wanted someone who was detached and not of the people, but superior to the people. They had been told through prophecy to expect a baby, but they just couldn't do it because they had also, to be fair to them, had been told in prophecy to expect a warrior king. So there was that mixed message. And there were messages that God gave to Mary and Joseph. And today we're looking at the mind-boggling message that God gave to Joseph in a dream by an angel. And here was the angel's message, the message of God. Even though Mary was his betrothed, which meant they were no longer engaged, but they weren't quite married. And they were in that year-long relationship where they could call each other husband and wife, but there was no physical content, contact. Um, she was pregnant, and Joseph had never touched her in an intimate way. 
And the angel of the Lord told him in his dream, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And it was the fulfillment of prophecy. But they wanted the mighty warrior Messiah. And this didn't match their expectation. And this didn't match what they thought was desperately needed. When what the people needed was God. And this is what they didn't know. They didn't need a distant God. They needed an intimate loving, connected God who connects with our souls. In a world dominated by religiosity, I mean, you would not believe what religious people were supposed to be. They were supposed to be not just rule followers. Rules are good. They serve their purpose. But to follow the minutia of the law and your position with God was earned by how, how well you followed the minutiae of the law. They need, the religiosity was so hooked in to what the world told them was the truth that they had no way to escape this because they had no deeply personal God. So one plus one equal two, period. And it wasn't until Christ came where we learned one plus God equal, the sky's the limit. They needed the God of grace, and they had no access to a God of grace. But there's something that I think is even worse about the way it was in their religiosity. People were judged, and people were discounted. If you were a person in poverty, well, you deserved it. If you were a person in despair and brokenness, well, you just didn't have the ability to get yourself out of it. If you were a person of a different ethnicity, well, you were lesser. It was your lot in life. Remember that this was when retribution theology was all around them. If you had a mess of a life, it's because you must have done something. They needed a God who extended love to everyone. They needed a God of grace. But it was not what they expected. His name will be Emmanuel, they were told, which means... He's no longer out there. He's right here. But the people couldn't wrap their heads around this. They needed a perfect king, a sovereign king, who would, by his perfection, be necessarily distant. And their king had dirty diapers and cried all the time. He was completely human, completely and completely God because it had to be God who was on that cross for us. God's way of saying we are all in this together. I remember when I first got here over 20 years ago, I think I used to say this a lot or something, and someone came up and said, I don't like it when you say we're all in this together. I want you to be on a pedestal. I want us to sit at your feet and I said, it's not going to work that way. I went to seminary during the peak of the relational theology movement. 
and I believed in it. And I was trained by tremendous mentors and said, if you are preaching the message of Christ, be in real relationships with other people. Don't allow anyone to think more of you than you are. Do not pretend to be on a pedestal because if you're on a pedestal, you will fall down. You have to emphasize the grace of God. Don't allow them to expect you to be perfect and you don't allow yourself to expect the congregation to be perfect. The relationship with the Savior cannot be phony. We come to him with our dark sides intact and we say, we know who we are, Lord. We will go to your perfection because you are the only perfection. It's the most important relationship that we will ever have. When it comes down to it, this life is a fleeting thing and it will be us and Jesus Christ and no one else. A relationship cannot save us. People cannot save us. Even the most important people we have in our lives, the ones we love dearly, cannot save us. We don't know what to expect with people. Everyone has a bad day once in a while. Sometimes people have a bad year. We cannot expect them to save us. We don't know what to expect with our world. You know, as a baby boomer, I grew up being afraid of nuclear war, and that same fear is sort of creeping up again. Maybe it has a different name, terrorism, but it's the same feeling, it's the same fear. We don't know what to expect in our country because no matter what side, who you voted for, it was brutal, folks. We don't know what to expect with our church. If 18 months ago someone told me what is happening here, I would never have believed it. We don't even know what to expect with the weather. One relationship that will actually surpass human expectation is the relationship with Christ upon letting him in and with beginning the dialogue where we say I am a sinner Lord I need to repent and come to you we automatically and you've heard this from me a million times but please listen upon repenting and saying I come to you we become his favorite do you know how much people need to be a favorite of someone and you think how can this be with God all things are possible when you come to Christ and say I'm hurting I'm wounded I'm a sinner I give up I take you in you immediately become his favorite as if there were no other people on earth his focus on you is that intense that loving that healing that overwhelmingly good his message is you are beloved and I used to test this out all the time and then go back to him and the message I got is you are beloved he gives us his own spirit when we are open to it and ask for it and the spirit's ways are unmistakable you can't deny what the spirit does because it's what's impossible for us to do the spirit always always gives us pathways to love people 
It'll give you a little word of knowledge about something about that person that will enable you to love them more no matter what you have perceived they have done to you. People will say, the Spirit told me this and it's a negative thing. No, that's us. We're the ones that want to build a case against people who have hurt us. That is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lets you into a part of that person so you can say, oh, they have been hurt. I will try to love them. And the Spirit has fruits. It has fruits, joy and peace and love. You know, there was a dear woman in this church, and for some reason I've been thinking about her a lot lately, Ellie Dean. And Ellie Dean <laughs> used to say to me, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he is that way because he wants us to be that way. She'd have these amazing little things to say. Well, he is. The Holy Spirit will not bombard us if we invite him in. He will occupy our souls, and he is the very spirit of the living Christ. Here is what you have to know. The Savior in the, merit, in the manger more than met expectations. He was beyond expectations. He is everything to us. He binds up wounds. He goes into our most, the places where we hurt the most. He is it, folks. And once he is the primary relationship in our life, the other relationships, there is more love for everyone. We have to surrender to him. We have no choice at a certain point. You can only learn about Jesus Christ long enough, and then it's at the point where we say, I am yours. And the baby in the manger is what we worship. Because what he is, is God with us, Emmanuel. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the freshness of your Holy Spirit. It gives us hope. It helps us to see things with the clarity of your love. There are certain things we absolutely cannot know about each other until we love. And we're very clear that we don't have the capability all the time to do this. We need you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the beginning and the end. You are the ground of our being. You are our future. You have been our past. You are our strength. You are everything to us. And we love you, Jesus. Amen.